As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. This is True Crime Psychology and Personality, where we discuss the pathology behind some of the most horrific crimes and those who committed them from a scientifically informed perspective. I'm Dr. Todd Grande. I have a PhD in counselor education and supervision, and I'm a licensed professional counselor of mental health. Dr. Todd Grande, that's my YouTube channel. Today's question is, how can people that are narcissistic and psychopathic use emotions to manipulate people? So what I'm really talking about here is a specific type of manipulation where people try to elicit a specific emotion to achieve an objective. And we know this tends to be more associated, as a behavior anyway, with narcissism and psychopathy. Of course, somebody doesn't have to be narcissistic or psychopathic to be manipulative. So in theory here, when we talk about emotions, what we see is that emotions are thought of as helpful. They warn us of danger. They reward us for positive behaviors. But in reality, there are pros and cons to having emotions. And as I mentioned, people tend to be biased toward thinking emotions are good and being unemotional is bad, like according to social norms. So if somebody's psychopathic, or narcissistic, and they tend to be callous or emotional, people think of that as negative. But people also think that being too emotional is bad. So we have low emotions as bad, and excess of emotions as bad, but also wrong emotions can be considered to be bad or unhelpful. Like if somebody's happy when they're supposed to be sad based on the situation. So really what it comes down to with emotions is there's a specific range that people operate in that's acceptable, and when somebody moves out of that range, it's unacceptable. So it's because of this and some other factors that emotions can be manipulated and people can move to what's acceptable into a range that's not acceptable, and this can cause problems, and it can meet the objectives of people, again, who have some sort of narcissistic or psychopathic purpose in mind, or people that don't have that purpose in mind, but they just want something from somebody else. Now, manipulation is often, of course, thought of as intentional. Sometimes it's thought of as always being intentional, depending on the definition of manipulation. But either way, the reasons that somebody manipulates are different. Each person manipulates for a different reason. Most reasons are selfish, and this is one of the reasons that manipulation gets linked so closely to narcissism and psychopathy. So before I get too far into examples of manipulation and how narcissism and psychopathy is associated with it, 
I want to talk about emotions and feelings and explain what those are and what the differences are. So actually, if we look at emotions, we see there are only six basic emotions. And we see these across all cultures. Anger, disgust, fear, happiness, sadness, and surprise. So emotions are very simple. They're immediate and they're constricted to really just six types, although the amount of expression, of course, would be different depending on the situation. So somebody could be a little bit angry or they could be very angry. Now, feelings are really cognition, blending with values and emotions to form a response. So really what we're doing with a feeling is we're trying to make sense of an emotion. Essentially, we're adding meaning to that emotion. So feelings are much more complex. Feelings can last a lot longer than emotions. And typically, people react to emotions with feelings, and then they behave after that based on the feeling. So the initial reaction is a feeling when an emotion is experienced, and then the physical behavior, like some sort of action, that would come in response to the feelings. So an example of how this works, if we combine a couple of different emotions, like if we combine anger and disgust, and then we have these emotions for whatever reason, and we encounter a coworker who just happened to make a mistake, the feeling would be that coworker is a horrible person. So the emotion is anger and disgust that again could be there for any reason, but then mixing that with a coworker's mistake ends up in a feeling that doesn't necessarily have a logical piece to it, right? The worker, the coworker, isn't horrible based on a logical reason. The emotions have influenced that. We could also look at like sadness and fear. So somebody is sad and they're afraid and then they hear news about uncertainty. For example, someone they know isn't answering text messages for a while. Well, then they start to think something bad happened to them because they're feeling sad and they're feeling afraid, and if something bad happened to the friend, those feelings make sense. That's how it works. It's kind of backwards. People look, essentially, to justify the emotions they have. So the feelings actually help to do that. So somebody fears the worst because of the emotion, again, not because of logic. So again, feelings are made up of emotions and somebody's perspective, their values, and we see that people tend to believe just like they believe about emotions, that feelings indicate something important, that they're accurate, that we should act on feelings. We should act on emotions, and we should act on feelings because our minds are giving us some sort of useful information, which, of course, we know isn't always the case. So again, all these factors taken together make people vulnerable to be manipulated by people who are narcissistic and psychopathic, as well as others. So I want to provide some examples of manipulation that I've seen a few times. I'm going to use each emotion once here. So I have six examples, one for each emotion. So I'll start with anger. So if we see, for example, romantic partners, and we see a husband who might say something to his wife to make her angry, so might insult her in some way, this anger leads to a fight, and then the husband blames the wife for being abusive, right? So the objective was to kind of get that reversal situation going and in that situation anger was easily manipulated to accomplish that goal. Now how about happiness? This seems like an unusual one for somebody to target 
with manipulation, but it happens all the time. Look at something like a real estate agent, right? They might ask you to picture life in a new house. Maybe you can't afford the house. Maybe the house isn't in good shape and it's not practical, but it doesn't matter. They ask you to picture what life would be like in that house. So there's this sense of happiness, which they hope will lead to an impulsive purchase. People that sell cars do the same thing. It's just part of sales strategy to manipulate that happiness emotion. So how about fear? Well, we see fear in like forensic work. For example, if a police officer is trying to manipulate a suspect with what they call a lie detector, right? This polygraph, which of course might as well be like an old record player with wires glued to it because it doesn't do anything in terms of lie detection. It's a tactic. A polygraph is used as a tactic to play on fear. The police can convince a suspect that they know more than they really know, meaning the police know more than they really know about what the suspect did. They can act like they know the suspect is lying when, of course, they don't. But that fear can lead to a confession. So that's another form of manipulation. We see the same thing at the level in terms of in court, right? If we look at disgust, we see that prosecutors manipulate juries with graphic crime scene photos. Well, if a crime occurred and it was a heinous crime, unless the body wasn't recovered or something, there will always be graphic photos. And of course, the natural reaction would be disgust. People are disgusted by that and, of course, they get angry. And this disgust, in this case kind of blended together with anger, leads to hate. So what the prosecutors hope to do there is to get the jury to really hate the defendant. Now, they may really be thinking that they hate whoever committed the crime, but the defendant is the one that they're thinking of. So really disgust, and again, to some degree, anger there, are being used in a manipulation to get a certain result. Now moving to surprise. This one's a little unusual to see with manipulation, but it can be used. I've seen it used in situations like if a potential romantic interest goes way overboard on a first date, right? They buy expensive dinner, they buy flowers, they become like a really good listener, even if they're not a good listener. They're trying to surprise that person they're dating, and they're hoping that surprise will lead to quick trust. They want to be trusted. So again, you don't see it too much with surprise, but it can be used. How about sadness, the last emotion? As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Have you ever wondered about things that go bump in the night, or objects in the sky, or other things you just couldn't explain? Then join me, Jim Mallard, on my podcast, The Mallard Report. Each week, you'll find engaging conversations with guests who are authors, historians, and scholars who lend their expertise as we discuss current events and venture into the fringe and paranormal. The Mallard Report hits controversies head-on, 
yet remains conversational and can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and any other major podcast platform. Well, think about somebody who is trying to get somebody to loan them money, for example. Before they do that, they might relay like a sad story, like somebody's pet dying. Of course that's sad. It's going to elicit that sadness emotion. And then they do that, and that's when they ask for a favor, like asking somebody to loan them money. So they're hoping in this situation that the sadness will lead to generosity. So we see from these examples that the person who is engaging in the manipulation doesn't have to be a narcissist or a psychopath. I gave examples really from everyday life that we see quite often. But when somebody is narcissistic and psychopathic, they're more likely to use one of those types of manipulation, to manipulate one or more emotions. And typically they target weaknesses. So if somebody has a mental disorder or another type of disorder or problem around emotional regulation, so if they have dysregulated emotions, somebody who's narcissistic or psychopathic would usually move toward a person like that because they know they're vulnerable in that area of emotions. They know that they have emotions that can move and change very quickly. So again, a person like that would be the kind of person that a narcissist or a psychopath would prefer to manipulate. It's just a lot easier. And this really gets into why individuals who are narcissistic and psychopathic are so successful at emotional manipulation. So as I pointed out, people that aren't in these categories can certainly manipulate emotions, but typically they're not very good at it. Individuals who are narcissistic and psychopathic tend to be more effective. And that's what I'm really getting at here. Why are they more effective? Well, one reason is they tend to be motivated. And motivation is really a strong indicator here. From those examples I gave before, with people that weren't necessarily psychopathic or narcissistic, they were also motivated. Somebody trying to sell you a house is motivated. Somebody trying to convict a defendant is motivated. But somebody who's narcissistic and psychopathic has a wider range of motivations. There's a lot of different types of behavior, a lot of different responses that motivate them. When people aren't narcissistic and psychopathic, what motivates them is really restricted to usually their job. Like the examples I gave there before, if somebody's trying to sell a house or a police officer is trying to get a confession, they're trying to do their job. So again, it's restricted to that type of area typically without the personality traits of narcissism and psychopathy. Another reason that narcissists and psychopaths are so successful at manipulation is they lack empathy. And this is a real key. Even at the subclinical level here, even if somebody has narcissism and psychopathy, but doesn't rise to the level of any type of disorder, any type of mental disorder, they're still going to have some lack of empathy. And that's going to be enough to facilitate emotional manipulation in some cases. Now, when we talk about specifically grandiose narcissism and psychopathy, so leaving out vulnerable narcissism for a moment, we see that individuals with grandiose narcissism and individuals who are psychopathic are not vulnerable to emotions, right? They're exempt from the rules. They're not invested. And this gets into what I call the trail of destruction. So imagine like an individual who's in a totally fireproof suit. It's not only fireproof, but it's resistant to heat. They can pour gasoline everywhere and play with matches. If something burns, they're okay with that. If something doesn't burn, they're okay with that too. Another expression here is they're playing with the house's money. So if they go into a casino and the people at the casino say, look, here's $10,000, but you have to gamble it, that's not a big deal. You're playing with the house's money. 
it's not your money. You're not losing anything. You're not risking anything. And that's kind of how we look at this. Grandiose narcissists and psychopaths don't have anything to lose because they're not, again, they're not vulnerable to emotions. They don't have to play by the same rules. They don't have a way to get hurt with the emotions the same as somebody who does not have those personality traits. Now, the last reason that narcissists and psychopaths can be successful with emotional manipulation is they tend to be attracted to the suffering of other people. Sometimes we call this schadenfreude, right? The joy and the suffering of others. Except with narcissism and psychopathy, it's a little more intense. And if somebody lacks empathy and they're not vulnerable to emotions and they like it when other people suffer, it makes sense more or less why they would use emotional manipulation. From their point of view, that's logical. It helps them to meet their goals. So what do all these strategies have in common? I find this pretty interesting. If we look at all the emotional manipulation strategies, including the examples I used before, what do they have in common? Well, they're all immature, right? That's what they really have in common. They indicate immaturity, not sophistication. So we know that school-aged children know these tricks. They use these tricks of emotional manipulation. So why do they work on adults? Why do they continue to work as people grow older? That's because people believe that emotions and feelings necessitate a response. Again, they tell us something important. We should listen to them. Follow your heart. Go with your gut. Trust your intuition. All those phrases are based on separating yourself from logic and following emotions, even though there's not strong evidence that they always point in the right direction. Now, another reason these strategies work is impulsivity. It's hard to discount the power of impulsivity. So this is when somebody has a negative emotion or positive emotion, and they fail to restrain themselves. They feel compelled to act on that emotion. So impulsivity, again, is a big part, and believing that emotions tell us something important is a big part of it. So when somebody realizes that emotional manipulation is occurring, how can it be stopped? How can we stop emotional manipulation from happening? Well, I talked about this in videos before. Boundaries. Boundaries are a real key. Follow the rules that you set. Follow the boundaries that you set before experiencing an emotion. So don't wait until a time when the emotions are strong to make those rules. Make those rules when the emotions are expressed at a relatively low level or there's no emotion. Now, when people fail to react to efforts to manipulate, that will eventually extinguish the behavior, right? So another tactic here would be to cut off the reward. So if somebody's trying to manipulate you and you react to that, that's only rewarding them for that attempt to manipulate. So we can think about it from the point of view of like operant conditioning, right? It goes back to the roots of behaviorism. If there's an animal being used in an experiment and they have to press a button to get a pellet of food, and every time they press that button, a pellet of food comes down, they're going to continue to press that button. If the reinforcement schedule is changed, so they have to press the button twice, they're still going to do it. They're going to press it twice and get the pellet of food. And this number can be increased quite a bit. They can have to press the button 10 times or 20 times, and they'll still do it because they know that eventually they're going to get that food. So the only way to really extinguish the behavior is to never reinforce it. It's really surprising how many times people will engage in behaviors without the reward because they know it's still possible. Now, I've heard another argument 
in this area that another tactic here would be to have the opposite reaction that the manipulator expects. But in my experience, this is still a reward. This is still a response, and it may not be the response the person wants, but it still may bring some sort of pleasure or be satisfactory. So I would say that's not always a good strategy. No reaction, I think, in terms of behaviorism, is a more effective strategy most of the time. Now, these ideas about how to avoid emotional manipulation, they're not the same thing as not having emotions. Rather, not engaging in a behavior, or at least not engaging in it, when the person who's narcissistic or psychopathic, or whoever they are, can see you. If you have to react, if there's no way to kind of suppress that reaction, have that reaction in a place where you could not be observed by the person who is attempting the manipulation. Again, whether they're narcissistic, psychopathic, or not, that's still a way to avoid rewarding them. This has been True Crime Psychology and Personality from Ars Longa Media. This content is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.